press play on the inside inside sales show powered by the sales iq network my name is daryl prale i'm your host and you my friend well you and i we're going on a journey every single week talking to the industry's most accomplished sales legends as they share with us their tips their tricks their techniques and their tactics to become sales rock stars you simply need to do what they're doing and you will achieve similar nirvana if you like to laugh you like to be entertained if you like to go off on tangents and tell stories you're gonna love what you're gonna hear next sit back relax it's gonna get real Ah, my friends, you're back. There was much discussion. Would you come back for another episode of the Inside, Inside Sales Show? And you did. I never doubted it for a moment. Welcome. I am so glad you're here. Now, if this is your first time ever listening to this episode, to this show, to this podcast, I can only guess it's because you saw in your little podcast app, you read in the show notes, who today's rock star speaker is. And you're like, I got to get me some of that. All right. If that's the case, don't give it away. Keep it yourself. Let everybody else wait for the mystery to be revealed. <sighs> How's your week going? You guys feeling good? You, you enjoying life? You enjoying the job still? The job frustrating you? You're hitting your numbers. You're not hitting your numbers. I know it is stressful. I think I'm doing okay these days. It's a busy time of year, right? As we're we're kind of we're now full fledged moving into that last push for the end of the year, and of course, if you've got a sales cycle that's like four months or longer, basically your year is already done. You're you're going to have minimal impact, so that can be depressing. But if you've got like I say a thirty or sixty day uh, sales cycle, or even a ninety day sales cycle, you still got to push hard to get this all said and done. Which is interesting because today's topic is a little bit on on a related note about getting stuff done. It was interesting. My wife and I, the other day, we were, we're talking about, I won't name names, but we were talking about some of our clients. So my wife, for those who don't know, my wife is an interior designer. All right. So she makes houses pretty. No, our house is not pretty. Just so we're clear on that. We are like the cobbler's kids, but she makes Houses pretty for her clients. And some clients are very hands-off. They're like, just do it. Just just sign up the tradespeople and just make it all happen. So I come home one day and it's like the last five minutes on the whole HGTV where they do the reveal. And you go, ta-da, life is grand. Other clients, they're the ones, if it was an HGTV show, where it's a fixer-upper and they want to save some money and do it themselves. And what's always interesting is this. They, they don't want to spend the money to get the result they want, but they still want the result. And now they're going to my wife and saying, what do we do? What do we do? I can't do it. I don't have the skills, but we don't have the budget. What do we do? Which I always personally find that weird because it's like, well, if you don't have the skills and you don't have the budget, the answer is pretty straightforward. You just don't get the result you want. I mean, that is what it is. That's life, right? It's full of hard choices. But my wife, God bless her, she always wants them to have that look. This is what makes her so good at her job. She cares. And she's like, well, you know, it's not that hard to do. Like, you know, what you want to do, it's really easy to do. Like, you know, you want me to do it? Now, my wife, she is not afraid of wearing a tool belt and making herself handy 
but I would not claim her to be the world's most handy individual. It's, let me clarify that, but she's very good at what she does. But you know what she's good at? She's good at kind of saying, how? How do we do this? And then going on YouTube or whatnot and, and studying it. So recently, <clears throat> she had a client who they were building, they were redoing the whole living room and they wanted to put in this custom fireplace. There was no fireplace before. So she, my wife worked with the designers and they spec'd out a custom design, a fireplace and the mantle and the box and everything else. And they'd bought this very compelling electric fireplace, apparently quite lifelike. And they, the problem was uh, the project grows as every project does, it grew. And so they, they had to put the, the box in the, the fire into the fireplace, into the, the mantle, but the, the, the homeowners didn't know how to do it. Like, this is literally just, you know, slide it in and screw it and you're done. That's, that's as simple as it was. But then, then all of a sudden they wanted to put a TV on top of the fireplace. That was new. That wasn't in the original plan. And to do that, they needed to, to put an electrical outlet there. And they were like, oh my God, where do we get an electrician in these times? Tradesmen are three, four or five, six months booked in advance. We really want this done. What do we do? And, and I'm like, isn't there an electrical outlet? Like literally just, you know, near the, you know, maybe a foot off the floor that you can just run a, a line up to a, and that you pop another box in the wall and, and just literally, it's a straight run down the, the stud that you're, this is easy. This is like so easy. And she's like, I know, but they're scared. And I'm like, honey, I can't, you know, we go back a few years. What did we do when we were young and had no money was we bought a book and the book literally said, step one, do this. Step two, do that. Step three, do this. And we just followed the steps and that's how we learned. But today it's even better. Today we have YouTube. And there's videos we can pause and rewind and play and we can study. And it shows us exactly step one, step two, step three. And we follow the steps and boom, there's a plug installed and boom, the TV's mounted and boom, the fireplace is installed and boom, the living room's redone. And we've saved ourselves a lot of money. And it's a glorious, epic final five minutes of home garden TV as we do the reveal. And we said, we did this. We achieved our goals and all we did boys and girls, was follow the steps. There was a framework. There was a methodology to our madness that we were unaware of until we decided that we needed to achieve an outcome. And then we sought out the methodology. We studied the methodology. We applied the methodology. And lo and behold, we got the outcome we wanted. So you're saying to yourself, Daryl, it feels like you're trying to get somewhere. You went for interior design to methodologies. I'm on to you, brother. Where are you going with this? And the answer is very straightforward. Is that in sales, there's all these different methodologies that are out there. You may know them. Spin, Bant, Medic, MedPick, whatever you want. The list goes on. What are they? Why should we follow them? What's the consequences if we don't follow them? And what's stopping us from doing it in our everyday practice? Because I'll be honest with you, this is one of the biggest issues I see over and over again is we don't follow a defined framework, even though it's put there to tell us and show us exactly what to do to achieve the outcomes we want. So where do I go for that? Well, boys and girls, I have got the one, the only, the CEO, the founder of Growth Genie, Mr. Michael Hansen. 
here with us today, and he's going to talk all about frameworks. And in fact, he may reveal his own. And we're talking, we're going to use that as a framework. See what I did there? To talk about frameworks. So, Michael, how you doing, my friend? I'm great. Really great to be here, Daryl. And yeah, looking forward to, to chatting with you. you. Admit it, you're you're listening to that opening and like you're scared shitless right now going, he talks a lot and he's loud. I don't know if I want to have this conversation with him. No, it's always love your energy, Daryl. Always, always see your videos on LinkedIn. Always like it. Uh, uh, here's what I need to know, because I know recently you were on a, a podcast or two with Ollie Whitfield, a former colleague of mine at VanillaSoft. Am I better looking than Ollie or not? That's what I really need to hear from you. I'm putting the I'm putting yeah. you on the spot. Who's the better looking lad? I'm gonna go for you because you got better hair, you got a better quiff. Uh. <laughs> Good answer. All right. So let's talk about sales frameworks. I mean, this is what you guys do. For those of you who don't know, Growth Genie, they are an incredible sales training organization. They can help you with your sales playbook development, they can help you with the sales cadences and sequences. They're all about helping train and, and consult with you to generate more qualified pipeline and more conversations. And of course you do those conversations so you can drive the pipeline. One comes before the other. And for that to happen, frameworks are really important. So talk to me about your experience, Michael, with the frameworks. What do you see working? And talk to me about the framework you guys have put forth. Yeah. So in terms of frameworks, we we never had one at at Growth Genie, like an official one. We basically had these five pillars that we used, but we realized we needed to package it up and have something like acronyms, like you talked about, spin, ban, et cetera. And we actually think some of those are a little bit outdated. Some of some parts of those are great, and they're kind of like eternal sales things, but we thought there was a little bit of emotion actually missing in, in some of those. They're a bit cold, so I'll come on to what ours is after. The reason we came up with this framework as well is Whenever we do training sessions, a bit of an icebreaker we use. This is one if, you, if you're meeting people for the first time and you work in sales, one I recommend is what's the thing you love most about sales and what's the thing you hate most about sales? Well, I'll actually start with the hate most about sales. People normally say being seen as like a sleazy salesperson that's just interested in commission. And normally what they say for love is I want to be seen as someone that's helpful and is having a positive impact on them, right? So those are the two most common answers we get for what do you love and what do you hate most about sales. So essentially, most salespeople actually want to help people, right? They don't want to just make their commission check and at all costs. Most salespeople are there to help people. So what we're trying to do at Growth Genie is give them a framework that's going to allow them to do that, to be seen as advisors and helpful versus like sleazy salespeople that are just interested in commissions. And essentially the framework that we've come up with is a thing called Cosmic, which I can I can come on to. I'm sure you may have some questions on what, what I just said. I do, I do, I really do. And I love that you're talking about it's to make them successful above and beyond just commissions. And you're focusing on the customer because, you know, guys and gals, think about that. If your customer is successful, what are they going to do? They're going to refer you and your service or your offering to all their colleagues. And we know referrals are something you should be asking for, right? This is my way of saying you're asking for them, right? So, and you want to ask that you want, you want them to be happy, but you also want, you know, one of the things that you may not fully understand is buyers talk to other buyers about their buying experiences with you. And what they'll often talk about is not, I mean, sure. They talk about price. 
because, you know, in the end of the day, it's always a budgetary, budgetary thing. <clears throat> but they'll actually talk about the buying experience. You know, you know, Michael was, I really liked working with Michael. He really listened to me. I felt like he got my situation. You know, I had Michael in that I was talking to and I was talking to Sally and I was talking to, to, to Joey and I was talking to Mary. And so I had four different vendors, but Michael really asked probing questions. He made me think. And because of that, I felt like I could trust Michael and the folks at Growth Genie. All right. So what's driving all of that? What's driving the fact that, they talk about the buying experience because it was so incredible. What's driving that is the actual sales methodology, the sales framework, because it's actually telling you what to ask them. It's, 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 like, it's like a GPS on your phone. It's telling you which way to turn depending on which way the navig the conversation flows. All right. Oh, there's a, oh, they said this turn here and explore that route a little deeper. That's the beauty of doing it. If you don't do that, then you just sound lost and like you, you don't know what to ask for. So that's why I like frameworks. Let's talk about cosmic. I love the name. It's the marketer in me loves the name. It's inc there's so many things I can do with this from a promotion point of view, but uh, for those to, to make sure we're understanding cosmic in this case, C O S M I C. And uh, it's a nice, easy acronym to remember. And this is the kind of things like when I have a framework in my mind, like another one that I've used before, successfully medic, med, pick, bant, spin, spiced, uh, you know, why they work for me <clears throat> and some work better than others. I want to be clear on that is if it's easy to remember what the letters stand for in the heat of the conversation, it will prompt me i won't have to be struggling for it it will prompt me to say okay i need to know i need to go explore this avenue of questioning now so let's use cosmic let's explore it help us understand why it's different because you said it offsets some of the weaknesses of other frameworks you've seen and help me understand you know what i gain by asking you know for each line of questioning the c the o the s the m the i the c and what I lose if I don't ask those questions. So let's start with that. So cosmic, let's start with a letter C. What does C stand for? And, 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 and drill down on it for me. Yeah, awesome. So yeah, starting with the letter C is, is challenges. So people buy based on challenges. This is quite a standard one. So it's one that a lot of other sales trainers and consultants will use. We'll come on to the ones that make us more unique later. But to give you an example of why challenges are important, right? At the moment in the UK, we've had this heat wave, right? So it's been like 40 degrees Celsius. So I think in Fahrenheit, that's 103. And that's not typical for us. So there may be people listening in like California where that's, you know, normal weather. But for us, that, that's not normal. And what it means, because we don't normally have that type of weather, is a lot of people don't have air conditioning. And what's happened is, you know, they can't sleep at night. They're really hot working from home. So loads of people went out and bought a fan. So they didn't go out and buy fans because fans of a really quick speed and they look a certain way they bought fans because they were sweating in bed they weren't able to sleep and they were like i need to do something about this so they're buying because of that challenge that oh, i'm feeling too hot in my house i need to cool down i need to sleep better so that's an example of why challenges are important and that's why buyers generally buy more on challenges than features and that's why it's the c in our uh, in our cosmic so obviously so the first point here is we're actually trying to uncover what are the challenges they have in their current situation, which could be, and I love the challenges one, right? Cause that, this is 
one of the best words, you know, letters, C, to drill down on. Because remember, the challenge is never the first answer they tell you. And Michael talked a bit about that, right? We're having a heat wave. So, you know, you went and got a fan, but why are you having a fan? Why are you having a heat wave? If I stop there, oh, so the challenge is the heat wave? No. He said, well, what's the heat wave? Why is the heat wave a problem? Well, because I sweat a lot. Well, why is that a problem? Because when I sleep, I'm sweating and the sheets get wet and I, and I, I can't have a solid sleep. And what does that mean? Well, that means I wake up the next day and, and I'm underperforming because I can't focus on everything else. Oh, so you, the symptoms would be the sweat and the heat. But the real challenge is that it's the lack of sleep affecting your performance and your productivity. So if I could bring you sleep back, even though it may still be a heat wave outside, that would make you able to focus again. Therefore, that would allow you to be far more productive, make more money, make better decisions, whatever it might be. So that's the issue. That's the challenge. Yes. Okay. So the challenge is we need to get you to sleep. Nothing to do with the heat wave at all. Nothing to do with sweating. Those are just symptoms. That's brilliant. Because now you start to understand the, 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 the meat of the problem that you can then start addressing about your product, right? But remember, with the framework, too many of you follow in this mistake of as soon as you get an answer, you don't drill down, like we just talked about. And then B, you go into the, let me tell you how my product is going to help you sleep more. As nobody cares just yet, you have to go through the whole framework before you can then take a breath and say, okay, I now understand all the issues. Let's either set up a follow-on meeting or a custom demo, or right now, if you have time to talk about specifically how I can address your challenges, et cetera. So that's mistakes people make. Have some patience. I love that. So C is for challenge. O, what is O for? Yeah, sure. So O is an interesting one, which is basically open. So being open about actually what you're not good at and taking it a step further, asking your buyers, what are the main objections you have? Be open with me. I'd like to have very transparent relationships with everyone. And then I always give this example. I think it was Kevin Dorsey on LinkedIn first made me aware of this, which was around, if any of you have seen the film Eight Mile, there's a scene in it at the end where Eminem's having a rap battle against one of his rivals and the rival gang, essentially one of his friends had slept with Eminem's girlfriend and his friend had shot himself. And what Eminem does is he goes first in the rap battle and he says all of these things. He passes the microphone over to the other person and the other guy's got absolutely nothing to say because Eminem's already said all the things that the, the guy was going to say to him in the rap battle. So rather than your prospects bringing something up, that you know you're not very good at, bring it up proactively. So like in our case, we know one of the biggest objections we get is, oh, how are you going to understand our product? How are you going to be experts in our product? So getting ahead of that, I always say, look, we're never going to be the experts in the product you are. We're just experts in sales process and sales structure. And we're going to ask you questions to understand the pains of your buyers, which you're then going to be able to put into a, into a framework. So always be proactive about the objections that your buyers have. So you raise them rather than they do. So what happens if I don't do that? If I'm not open with that, what risk am I putting myself at? You're at risk of not being authentic. So I think especially in this whole like social media era where everyone's pretending to be the best. And you see this in our world of like B2B software and B2B companies, 
that online people are like, oh, we're best of breed, we're the market leader, we're top on G2, etc. And it lacks a bit of authenticity. So essentially, it's just saying, look, we're not perfect, nothing's perfect, this is what we're not good at. And then it also, if you do that from an early stage, and that's really important for them, then you know they're not a good fit for your service. You don't have to go through like a three-month sales cycle and find out at the end, or even worse, once they become a customer and they're not a good customer. So it actually saves you a lot of time as well. So I love that point. And a lot of people are scared of that, which is what Michael just alluded to, the fact that if you're open and it's not a good fit, then stop this conversation and move on. Too many reps are like, but but I can maybe close it and I, and I haven't had a lot of conversations, so I'd rather not do that because I really need this deal. Here's what's gonna happen. That client's gonna churn and then they're gonna claw back your commission and they're gonna yell at you, all right? And then it's not good. It's just not good. You wanna avoid that. Instead, respect your own time, all right? If you're not selling to them, you're selling to the next person and it's inevitable that the minute you ditch one conversation, there's another active conversation right there. It's amazing how often that happens. What I like about what Michael's saying on the open side, I love that he said, listen, we're not good at this. I'll never be the product expert you are, but I'm really good at this. When you are authentic, using Michael's term, what you're actually doing is building trust because now they're feeling like you're being, you're shooting straight with them. You literally said, I'm weak here. I'm not as strong as you might like me to be. And I'm full disclosure. By doing that, everything else you say, I am good at this, they actually believe you 10x as opposed to if you just said that without being vulnerable and authentic. And it's all about trust. Remember, when you're having a, when it's you against the competition, we talked about earlier, you know, three other vendors, it's it often, often there will be at least two vendors whose solutions are comparable, whose prices are comparable. So which way do they lean? They lean to the person they trust the most. And that, if you're open, will be you. That's the power of open. The thing I love about open is it's so relational. You're making this like a heart-to-heart -heart conversation between you and the individual, as opposed to doing what Michael just said, which is thumping your chest and saying, we're the best. Look at all these stats out there. Well, you may be the best, but that doesn't mean you're the right person for me. I need to feel like you're the right person for me. So relationships are a big part of it. That's the C. That's the O. Next one is the S or the S and the M, if I recall. So what are we talking about with this one, Michael? Yeah, and I think you mentioned S and M together there. So I'm actually going to put those two together because they're, they're very related to each other. So again, the... The M is more related to what you'll hear in a lot of other sales frameworks, right? Which is what we call the material. So that's like material goals that they're trying to get to. So obviously in sales, as an example, we're trying to have a certain target for pipeline, maybe generated from marketing or revenue generated from sales, right? So that's what we call a material goal. And that's something, say I'm doing a discovery call, I may ask that, right? What targets do you have for your sales team? How close are you getting to those at the moment? What's the current situation? So that would be the material. And then from a marketing perspective, if you're looking at case studies, right? It often focuses on the results. We help this company achieve X amount of revenue, 20 million revenue, whatever it is, right? So that's the material side. Most sales trainers will, will talk about that. Now the, the S is where things get very different and where we think we're very different from everyone else which is spiritual. So the spiritual goals of the company you're selling to. Now, the term spiritual is sometimes something that, that freaks people out. But the way I like to think about this is what's the higher purpose 
of the company you're selling into, which normally is related to the mission and vision. So one, you can go on the company's website, have a look at the mission and vision, see the impact they're trying to make, and ask them directly, like, what's the bigger impact you're trying to have here? What's the impact you're trying to have on the universe? And that's where the cosmic, the whole letter together comes into play, which is what's that impact on society? And then even if, if I give you an example here, because this is an abstract concept, imagine I'm talking to like a chief marketing officer, a chief revenue officer, which is kind of what we do on a daily basis at Growth Genie. And what we find is, yes, they have the material targets, which is we need to get to X revenue by the end of this year or end of this quarter, but also what drives them is people development. So when they're managing teams and those people get promoted and they're successful, and maybe they even replace them in their job when they leave, and that gives them a real sense of fulfillment that they've had a really positive impact on these people's lives. So that's another example. So yeah, that's the, the spiritual and material, which is a bit of a, a yin and yang thing. So what happens if I don't do the spiritual? Because you said this is where you're different. Is it, you know, am I... Am I gaining or if I don't do it at all, am I losing? Like, what are the consequences? Because because you, you're right. Mo, I don't know. I don't know if I can think of another methodology that talks about what you're talking about with the S. So what's the consequence? How will that impact me if I don't do that? Yeah, I think it, it becomes a bit, you, you mentioned this earlier with the open communication and like relationship building is also related to this. It's more of like a cold transaction. Whereas if you find out that higher purpose, that why, why are they a chief revenue officer at an individual level? And why does the company exist? What kind of impact are they trying to make? You're creating a much stronger human relationship. And I think the marketers often think about this. They're like, how do we make people feel, right? With our messaging, with our videos, et cetera. But I don't think sales people think about this enough. So it's really connecting with them on like an emotional level, connecting your higher purpose to them. And then really like, what's the impact we're going to have here? Aside from just making money for all of us, who else is going to benefit from this? So I love the term spiritual because Michael talked about, you know, what is the higher power? What is the higher, you know, aspirations that you seek for? And I, I don't know, I think the whole idea of spiritual and higher and cosmic, it's just, it's just, it's really cool. But you know, I'll throw another S your way. If, if, you know, spiritual, I think is a better S, but another S might be soft. So you have, what's the material impact, which is, you know, things that are measurable. And then what's the softer impact, right? So whether it be employee satisfaction or, you know, we want to change the world, but either way, I think spiritual is better. But if you're not comfortable with that, I'll throw an S for soft. And, uh, and by the way, fully expect Michael to completely ignore my suggestion. So that's just between us listeners here on the inside, inside sales show. <laughs> so that's the S and the S. We have the C, the O, the S, and the M. Right now we have Cosm and we need the Ick. So what's the I stand for, my friend? I was going to say Cosm sounds quite funny. Maybe I should have stuck with that. But yeah, the I is, is influence, which is essentially like other people call this the authority piece, right? Which is around if you're in business to business sales, you're never selling to one person. And again, even if you're doing like B2C knocking on people's doors, the wife may need to convince the husband or husband convince the wife or, you know, so it's, it's still related in there. But essentially, it's around how much influence do you have within the company you're selling to, right? So are you speaking to the decision maker? Are you speaking to the influencer? Are you multi-threading? So that essentially means are you just speaking to one person or are there multiple people involved? Anyone that's worked in B2B for a long time knows that if you just got one person involved in a deal, 
it's not as likely to close. So it, it's all around that, around how much influence do you have within the company at a wider level and not just with one person. And again, this is something we beat the living heck out of in past episodes, folks. You know, you can call it, what's the buying committee? You can call it, are you multi-threading an account? I mean, in the end, you may have one person you're talking to 90% of the time, but there's all these other influencers who are active in the cycle. And, it, and the numbers are huge now. In fact, even the term buying committee has now gotten replaced the other terms because buying committee suggests there's a defined number of people that are involved in the decision. The reality is there's a whole boatload of people who are influencing. They may not be active in the committee, but they their opinion yields influence. And if you're not talking to them, then you're kind of screwed if the competition is talking to them. We see that happen all the time where you get talking to maybe a user who's the person who's really loving your product because they can see how it fixes their job, but nobody ever talks to the economic decision maker or the technical decision maker. And then suddenly the, the objections come up at the last minute, well, this doesn't work with our stack, or this doesn't have the integration we need to these other tools, or this wasn't budgeted for. Even though everybody loved the tool and all agreed it's going to do what you promised it would do. If you don't multi-thread the account. If you don't focus on who has influence, you will lose that deal, especially in a competitive cycle. This is the one area I see people over and over again lose deals on is because they don't understand influence. All right, last, the letter C, where it caused me, we're bringing it home to cause Mick K emphasis on the C. What is the, what is, we started with a C, which was challenges. We're ending with a C. What is our last C? Yeah, cost, but it's not the cost you're thinking, which is more related to the material. It's actually the cost of inaction. So this is thinking about if they do nothing, what happens? Because this is often a big thing you'll get with companies. You don't lose them to a competitor. You lose them to that they don't do anything, right? And in this situation, you've always got to think about the cost of inaction because you need to think, if they're saying, let's do this in three months. And you need to think, well, if you don't do anything within three months, like what's going to happen? So again, if I give you the example of the fan, the cost of inaction is for the next two weeks, you're probably not going to get any sleep because you didn't get any sleep the last two nights. And I've had a look at the weather forecast and it's going to be 40 degrees for the next two weeks. So you're just going to continue sweating in your bed. So that's the, the cost of inaction. And then related to that, you brought this up as well. Like the next day, you're going to be really tired at work and then you're not going to be able to perform at work and you're in sales and then you're going to get less commission, right? So it's thinking about what's that, that cost of inaction if they don't use your solution. And I love talking about the cost of inaction because it, it ties it back to consequences, right? Maybe see, I'm just redefining everything, you know, spiritual soft, you know, <laughs> cost, consequences, you know, it's a Daryl, the marketer, but you know, the cost of inaction or the consequences of doing nothing, right. Is all of those challenges you identified early on do not get resolved. The spiritual and the material elements do not get addressed. And what does that mean for the organization? What is the cost of no decision? And that is a really, 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 really big thing. So, you know, Michael talked about how the sleeping continues to be bad. That's the cost of, of inaction, which can have a roll-on effect across. Imagine you get two weeks of, of bad sleep. What's going to happen? Well, you become a bear. You become impossible to live with. And you, your, your boyfriend or your girlfriend is tired of you being difficult and they leave you. And then your job says you're a moron, so they fire you. All because you didn't get sleep. 
Now, I'm making that as a bit of an example, but it's not that far out, folks. And that's your job. So there we go. This is Cosmic. This is brought to you by our good friends at Growth Genie, growthgenie.co on the website. And of course, you got Michael Hansen, the CEO and founder of it. So a couple of things I would do is I'd go to the website, check him out. I'd go to LinkedIn and follow him if you haven't done that already, because he's very active on social, by the way. So he's got all these incredible sound bites. But today's conversation wasn't so much around Cosmic, although I love it because it's different, especially the spiritual element, hugely distinguishing different. It was the importance of using the framework to drive the conversations to position yourself for success. So remember how we started. We started off <clears throat> with people not knowing how to install an electrical box, even though there was a video on it and it could have been very straightforward. And if they'd have done that, they'd have saved you some, some money. They wouldn't have had to wait three to six months to get a tradesperson and their living room would have been done. And they would have had the great reveal, the outcome they wanted to, but they didn't want to follow the framework or the methodology because they were scared or it was awkward. It wasn't something they had done before and it was foreign to them. It didn't feel good. It felt icky. Therefore, I'm just going to keep on doing what I'm doing, which isn't working so well for me. You don't want to do that. The methodology, the framework is there to make you successful. And ironically, it's there, and Michael alluded to this, to make the customer successful as well because they talk about the buying experience and they're going to give referrals to you and what you do so it's the gift that keeps on giving. And it all starts with the, with the framework. So I want to know, folks, what do you think of Cosmic? Do you like it? If, if you do, you know, share us in the comments, whether it be social, YouTube, what have you. Is there another framework here that's worked out well for you? If you've not used the framework or the methodology, what have been your consequences? And by the way, I'll be shocked if somebody doesn't say, well, I missed my number over and over again, or I lost my job over and over again. So... If you like this, I bet you Michael and his team can actually train you on it. Talk to us a little bit about Growth Genie, Michael. I, I gave the kind of the quick and dirty, but, you know, where do you guys really excel? And how would I know I might be a potential candidate to engage the folks at Growth Genie? Yeah, I'll, I'll try to tell a story to, to explain the company and do it in a, in a cosmic way. But yeah, I, I set up Growth Genie three years ago. We generally work with with fast growing companies and we're known for top of the funnel. So that could be SDRs that are doing their own outbound or account executives that are full cycle reps, and even customer success managers and account managers that have a target for, for upsells. But essentially what we saw is that outbound is becoming harder because there's loads of email automation happening. People like yourself, Daryl, get like hundreds of, of sales emails a week. And but the SDR role is generally given to like the least experienced person in the company. So you saw there's like a bit of a gap that you give something really hard to, to someone really junior. And on a spiritual level, it's really disheartening, right? Just getting no's all the time. So we felt there's a big gap in the market when it comes to, to training and enablement. So that's essentially what we do at Growth Genie. And there's two sides of it. One is we work on messaging. So looking at things like the material goals, the spiritual goals that, that you're trying to reach, the challenges that, that you help solve. And then after that, once we've built that messaging, it's training and coaching your sales team how to use that. So that's our, that's kind of the story of the company. That's awesome. That's Growth Genie, growthgenie.co, or you can just go to LinkedIn, of course, where I know Michael always is there. You can find him at the usual linkedin.com slash in slash Michael dash Hanson dash. He's got the two Good dashes spot. just Good to spot. really mess with you. 
but you know, that makes it, you know, clear that he's the man. He's, he's double dash boy. That's what he is. Michael, thank you for your time today, my friend. I had a lot of fun talking to you about the frameworks and it was a cosmic episode that I thought was incredibly spiritual. So there you go, folks. That's another episode in the can. Did you like it? Did you have fun? If so, go be cosmic today on your next sales call. In the meantime, my name is Daryl. I'm here on the inside, inside sales show. We'll talk to you soon. Take care. Bye-bye.